Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the OMFIF podcast. I'm Taylor Pierce, and I work as economist of OMFIF's Economic and Monetary Policy Institute. It's a pleasure for me to introduce our guests today, Antonio Armolini and Silvia D'Angelo, who will be sharing their thoughts on last Sunday's general election in Italy. Antonio Armolini served as the Italian ambassador to the CSE, Algeria, India, and the OECD, as well as special envoy to Iraq in 2003 and 2004. His latest book on the Charter of Paris for a New Europe was published by Editoriale Scientifica and the University of Trento. Antonio also writes for Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera and the Huffington Post. Silvia Delangelo joined Federated Hermes in 2017 as senior economist. As an experienced global economist, she was responsible for providing macroeconomic analysis and commentary, non-standard macroeconomic modeling, and developing relationships with key central banks and monetary authorities. Welcome both. I look forward to discussing the economic implications of the Italian election with you today. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. And thank you to the OMFIF network. Great. So just to start with a little bit of background, after the collapse of Italy's national unity government in July of this year, prompting the resignation of Prime Minister Mario Draghi, a snap election was called for September 25th. This election took place last Sunday when Giorgia Maloney, previously the leader of the main opposition party, the far-right Brothers of Italy, claimed victory. Maloney's conservative alliance also includes Matteo Salvini's Liga and former PM Silvio Berlusconi's center-right Forza Italia. Together, the three-party coalition received about 44% of the vote and will take over both the Senate and Chamber of Deputies, forming Italy's most right-wing government since the Second World War. Before we get into the economic policy of the new government, my first question for you both is how did we get here and what were the main factors leading to this electoral result? Antonio, I'll come to you first. Okay, well, how did we get here? I think it was, it was largely expected. The, the outcome was largely expected for quite some time. Perhaps what is not a novelty, but a, a, a relative change is the ratio between the different parties facing the election. And uh, Georgia Maloney's uh, victory went beyond, I think, expectations. But what went below expectation was the very poor result of Mr. Matteo Salvini's Northern League, or League as it calls itself now. The biggest loser was Mr. Salvini in the League, which paradoxically may make life easier for Georgia Maloney as the next uh, Prime Minister of Italy, as she will most likely will be. She will be called upon a new government in the next, in the next few days. It is, as I said, an, an expected result. It results which opens a number of questions, doesn't answer many of them, but many questions will be with us, and it is unclear which direction we will go. Uh, international public opinion and observers have insisted very much on the fascist, non-fascist characterization of this election, which was really not a central point in Italy, not because Italy is essentially pro-fascist or nostalgic in any way, but because attention was on other points. And one of the one of the shorthandings of the campaign conducted by the centre-left, now opposition, then government, was precisely that of centering its campaign on the threat of fascism, which had to be better be advanced, which to a public opinion which was concerned with inflation, energy prices, the general instability of the political system, didn't ring much of a bell as the results clearly showed up. The other point, I think, uh, where we, how did we get here? We got here because of the 
there's been a long-standing crisis of the political and representative system in this country, as well as most of the rest of Europe, for that matter. I will not talk of the UK because that's up for you to, to, to mention, but I think we could draw a number of lessons from what is happening in your country as well. But other than that, so in many ways, the Maloney vote is a vote by default, in the sense that there has been a, a consistent loss of confidence in the traditional parties or whatever was left and of the new formations which came up. And at least part of the Italian electorate decided that, well, we haven't, we have tried everything. It hasn't really worked. Let us try this, this girl again. She's, she's young, she's competent, she's, she's run an excellent campaign. She may have some, some dark spots on her side, which she's, she's tried to paper over, especially in the, in the latter part of the election. So there's a, there's a, there's a sense of, of concern and expectation. I mean, this is coupled by the fact that a number of people in Italy, I include myself amongst those, are seriously concerned of the change which has taken place in the political balance in the country. But to say that this was expected, no. The other point to bear in mind, I think, and this has been under, not underlined enough, is that both, well, the, the, the only remaining coalition is only one coalition, I mean, the, the centre-right coalition, is best in its aims and ideas. And they, Salvini, Meloni and Berlusconi have peddled different priorities and ideas, which could point to a fractious government in, in the making. This is offset by the fact that the huge majority, which Mrs. Meloni has gained on her side, will give her a much stronger hand in handling the government, at least that is to be expected, especially as in respect of, of Salvini and the League. Salvini in, it, in itself, who is rather an, intends to move from power maker to power breaker in the coalition, but he will be severely constrained in that respect. On the other side, I think perhaps the debacle of the centre-left went again beyond the expectations. I mean, the PD, the, the traditional party of the Italian, Italian left, now much more of a party of the moderate centre-left or centrist in some ways. The psychological benchmark was 20%, it went below 20%, which, which I think is going to call for, for a major reappraisal of what the party is going to do in the future. Uh, it was influenced by the fact that whilst the centre-right or the right, whatever you want to call it, managed to produce an efficient and apparently cohesive coalition on the left, the coalition unraveled right away for a number of reasons, for, for which will be discussed over the, the coming months and years, but the end result of which is that the collective weight of the centre-left in influencing Italian public situation and conditioning in some ways in opposition to the work, the work of the government is going to be difficult to handle, especially because the two major components of the centre-left, the PD on the one hand and the five-star movement, which was had been largely expected to disappear and has in fact, through a, an effective populist campaign, managed to crawl itself back to 15% of the vote, which is half of what it had before, but still three times what was expected about a, a month ago, are completely claimed to be completely incompatible amongst themselves, although that will have to be, they'll have to be seen in the coming months. But uh, again, the centre-left will have to decide which way it wants to stand on the political mainstays of how Italy is run. And right now, there is very little one can see in the ways of, of shaping an effective policy. The last element in, in the picture is the neocentrist, uh, moderate, whatever you want to call it, Humpty Dumpty alliance of, of Mr. Renzi and Mr. Kalenda, who hate each other but managed to conduct an effective campaign. Interestingly enough, in fact, the campaign was conducted by Mr. Kalenda. My personal opinion is Renzi stood aside. He went to Japan the day of the election from Shinzo Abe's funeral. He could hardly think of a more distant place to be on that particular Sunday. 
I think Mr. Renzi will, will wait out and see whether through the next month or that he will be able either to get rid of Mr. Kalenda and run his own show or decide that the two together will continue in an attempt at cordoning up that a large section of the moderate vote in Italy, which is looking for a looking for a home, looking for a home, disappointed with all the what that has now. Uh, Renzi Kalenda thought they could provide a new abode. That didn't work out, but we'll have to see in the next month what happens. I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but I mean that's that's where we're standing now. I think, uh, mind you, these are these are early days. I mean, we will know. We'll take a week or so. Uh, to know which way the governor may, may go, we'll see who the, who the key ministers will be, what Maloney has in mind. Essentially, whether Maloney will, as prime minister, continue speaking through her heart, as she has done in the past, or through her brain, as she has done recently, on hopes of the brain rather than the heart. That's great. Well, I think you mentioned a lot of important points there, not least of which was a certain level of disillusionment among the public, which I think was also shown by a low turnout as well. I'd like to turn now to Sylvia. Did you have anything to add on the main factors leading to this result, um, particularly with the focus on the economic platform of the Conservative Coalition? Well, I would just add one aspect to what Antonio has very clearly detailed. So this election really was about the cost of living crisis and the energy crisis that has hit Italy and the rest of Europe, really. And so uh, it is true that while in, like, in international media, that the main point was about, you know, a populist and sovereignist party gaining power in one of the founding countries of the European Union. At a national level, really, the debate was about everyday economics and about the cost of living crisis and high energy prices. To some extent, the Draghi government provided some answers to those issues. And indeed, the Draghi government proved like eight packages to support households and businesses to face en higher energy prices over the last year, cumulatively worth about 66 billion euros, so, so a, like 3.5% of GDP, so a significant amount of money. But the estimate is that higher energy prices so far will cost an additional 100 billion euros to households and businesses uh, this year. And so there's still a big gap that the next government will probably call to, to fill. Yeah, thanks for, for that, for touching on the economics of it. Um, as we've seen, it, it was really at the heart of the election. So coming back to you, Antonio, what are your biggest expectations for the new government's economic agenda? What do you see as the biggest risks and the biggest opportunities there? Well, I think for this, we will need to wait a few days. As I said just a couple of minutes ago, very much will depend on the course which Mr. Ms. Maloney will decide to take with her new government, who she will appoint as, as, as finance minister, who she will appoint as head of the Senate, who she will appoint to the crucial parliamentary commissions, which are, which are going to play the crucial role in the coming month. You know, her party is a party of statism rather than of, of liberal economy. During the campaign, not Maloney, but certainly the other parties of her alliance, her alliance have taken, how should I say, a fiscally very profligate attitude, which she has restrained during her campaign until until the very last days when everybody in Italy actually during the last 48 hours or 72 hours of the campaign, everybody promised everything to everyone. If you want economically responsible, but politically wise, because this was amongst others, certainly the saving grace of the five star movement, which from collapse turned into success through a number of promises, which included all sorts of dollars you could possibly think of at an estimated cost of 100, 
150 billion, through which there were no, no fiscal recipes were, were, were devised or underlined, just promises were made. Now, this is again a similar approach. This is why I was mentioning earlier on that the alliance could be difficult to manage, but the relative strength of its partners Make, may make life easier for Mr. Belloni. This exactly was the line taken by Mr. Salvini as well, who is in favour of extended subsidies for house, households and businesses going beyond any kind of strictures in the, in the, in the budget. And Mr. Maloney has not taken a, a view on this. So my answer is, we don't really know. But at the end of the day, the way at least it looks now, and I may be mixing hope with truth, is that the constraints of Italy's international position, not only Brussels, but the relationship with the United States as well, uh, will play a far greater role in the new government's approach in the coming weeks. But also, if what is widely rumoured to be the case in Rome, the Draghi-Maloney relationship is in fact much closer than it is publicly, publicly made out to be. Um, Maloney has said to be rely very much on, on Draghi's approach, which of course is that of a government which she fought against in opposition on all points. But I mean, th that was then. Now we've had a, a, an election, she's won, she has to rule the country. Um, fiscal maneuver is, is limited, and, and she knows this, this, this very well. The next generation is you, is crucial to the survival of Italy. 200 billion plus euros will only come in, in, in the context of a responsible but coordinated economic policy and negotiated with Brussels. Maloney has been saying over and over again that the next generation you has to be renegotiated. There again, it's a, semantics can play a lot of role. I mean, obviously, the adjustments can be made. The next generation you provides for that in, in cooperation with the Commission. That is one thing. Which is what you you can put this to the public as a renegotiation. In fact, it is it is not, and that is probably I hope that is what Maloney will do on this crucial aspect. I mean, NGU is crucial because uh, otherwise, not very clear the way in which a country could go. Yeah, great. So uh, it sounds like a lot of internal politics will will determine the outcome. As you said, uh, we'll have to see what happens in the coming days. Sylvia, I'd like to turn now to you. What do you think the outcome can be if Maloney's government takes a stance which is, as Antonio put, perhaps economically irresponsible, but politically wise? And if you could mention also NGU and, and fiscal policy as well. Well, first of all, I'd like just to make reference to the reaction in financial markets to the outcome of Italian election, which has been quite muted, I'd say. And there are a few reasons for that. Clearly, there are also situations that are attracting more attention right now in financial markets. But also, I think the, the, the right-wing coalition, right -wing coalition now enjoys the benefit of the doubt, really. The, the, the outcome uh, had been expected for a few months and was like in line with expectations. There's a clear majority in Italy, and it, uh, Giorgia Meloni, as leader of the Brothers of Italy has a clear political mandate to steer government action. Of course, there are still a lot of uncertainties and question marks. Meloni has not really shown true colors yet. I mean, in recent months, she has clearly shifted her 
rhetoric in a more moderate direction. And it looks like pragmatism will probably prevail over ideology when it comes to uh, economic policy. I mean, that's indication judging by her early declarations. But of course, party has a history of criticism and let's say confrontational stance with respect to European institutions and rules. I think going forward, though, because there are such strong incentives towards, let's say, orthodoxy. I think, again, once again, pragmatism will prevail with respect to economic policies and that the new government will likely stick to the rule of the game. And going forward, financial markets will test clearly that the government with respect to two key aspects. So the path for reforms that Draghi started, and secondly, of, of course, uh, fiscal sustainability. The first key test will be in the next few weeks with respect to the choice of some key figures in the cabinet and most crucially, the finance minister, who hopefully will be a, a more technical expert uh, rather than a politician, let's say. And of course, the following crucial test in the next few months will be the budget law that the new government will have to put together for parliamentary approval by the end of the year. And well, once again, there are there are high risks surrounding the fiscal sustainability of Italy. The risk really is coming mainly at this stage from what happened in the markets. And so Italian 10-year yields were like slightly above 1% at the end of this year. They are now running, well, heading towards 5%. And that mainly reflects tightening of central banks and and in particular, well, coming from from the Fed. And so, I mean, the new government will have to reckon a, a different economic background and I think that the, really uh, the most obvious path is really to stick to the reforms and to stick to fiscal sustainability, because that's also the, those are the conditions really that will allow Italy to continue to get access to the recovery fund, the EU next generation funds. And here we are talking about 200 billion euros over the next few years. So 2% of GDP for the next few years. And those funds are conditional of structural reforms. And really, this is the path that can basically allow Italy to remain afloat in coming, well, in coming years amid a very challenging situation. Great. Thank you. So my final question, I guess, then, given the overview that, that we've touched on, is what will the new government mean for Italy's position in the Eurozone? And what position are you expecting Italy to take in the upcoming EU fiscal rules reform debate and at the EU level more broadly? So, Antonio, I'll come to you first. Yes. Um, I wonder if I can preface this with a, just a small bit, which may, to my mind, is a clear indication of the way in which international observers have, have looked at the, at the election. And if you look at yesterday's FT, there is one piece by Tony Barber, which says, well, we don't know. Let us wait and see. And there's another piece by Amy Kasmin. It says, ah, here's this right-wing firebrand coming into power. I think it's between those two extremes that the observations have come. And Tony Barber's approach, I think, is the correct one. Amy may turn out to be right at the end of the day, but this we don't know. We hope so. We don't expect. On Europe in general, Georgia Meloni has has declared her Atlantic's credentials. And she has made it very clear that she is in favor of a strong relationship with uh, with the United States. She is in favor of continuing support to Ukraine and the general line of sort of Western support. She has been obviously critical of Italy's role in the European, in the EU over the past years, and this has not changed yet. She has for the time being only, only mentioned the need, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, earlier before, 
to quote unquote change the um, NGEU. And as I mentioned, I think that, that change will be limited to what can be done within the system. But she will be, she comes from a sovereignist background. I mean, that is there. As for many other things, it could have been embarrassing to allies. She has sort of put a lid on in the last weeks. Uh, but she was warmly welcomed by the likes of Orban and Le Pen, which, which she only uh, quietly answered to. But that is an indication of where part of, of European opinion thinks she might move. And I'm not sure this will go exactly in the way they expect. But I'm still doubtful as to what the level of European orthodoxy in her government will pursue within the Eurozone. You know, I agree with what Silvia was saying. One point that came to my mind was looking at the way in which opinion was reacting to the situation in Italy and the way in which government will influence the working of government. There was, during the election, a strong concern about unemployment, about, about Ukraine, about the war. But inflation was in the background, but was not at the, at the cusp of everybody's attention. I mean, because Italy is, was, is still living through a time when COVID was over, life has gone back to normal, industrial production is doing well, and there were a number of positive expectations to, to some extent muting other, other points, which made it so that, you know, I remember talking to David Mastor, he was insisting on what is our reaction, what, what is Italy's reaction to TPI? Well, I said TPI did not figure in the, in the electorate bit at all. I mean, if you ask, I think most of our leaders and asking what TPI is, they probably will not know. They will find out very soon, but not yet. So that is the way in which I think the situation is going. But Europe is, in the general outlook of a Maloney government, perhaps one of the most widely based question marks. Uh, she comes from a Eurosceptic background. She cannot afford to follow a Eurosceptic line, but where will she draw the line? I mean, where, where will rhetoric stop and where will, in fact, effective cooperation with the European institutions, you know, things like going on with, with the Eurozone, what happens banking, you know, the whole gamut, what to do with stability pact, and these are things which have not figured, and I'm not sure that they have yet had the time to go beyond a general sort of critical approach to what, quote unquote, Europe is about. But this is not a way you rule your governor country, not the way you govern a founding member of the EU. So she will have to square that out. A lot will depend, I think, on on who will be on her, on her European team, who the finance minister, who will be the minister of Europe will be. I mean, her one of her um, right-hand assistants, Mr. Lolo Brigia, who is also her brother-in-law and the grandson of one of Italy's grand movie stars, just declared that, you know, the whole gamut of European cooperation will have to be reviewed extensively. That is Mr. Lolo Brigida speaking, one of the voices of Brothers of Italy. But Meloni has not spoken. She has not spoken at all, in fact, and, and she will wait to do that for, for quite, a, quite a while. So I hope that at the end of the day, orthodoxy will prevail with some verbal rhetoric to compensate for it in the end. I expect that the strong Western position uh, and alliance with Washington will have will have a relative impact on the European position. To put it very bluntly, I think the, our American allies are very happy to see an Atlanticist government. They're not particularly keen on having a pro-European government in Italy, which is not necessarily one of the key priorities. So that element will have a, uh, some influence to play as well. But as was, I was reading somewhere, Italy cannot survive without the EU, and the EU has difficulty in making heads or tail work without Italy. So at the end of the day, that's, that's how you'll have to square the issue. But I think she, on this, a lot has to be seen uh, from within the Brothers of Italy movement itself. In the ruling coalition, Mr. Berlusconi will follow a pro-European line out of self-interest. 
uh, as for Salvini, Salvini's position are contrary to most of what should be done, but how much he will be able to impact on the situation will remain to be seen. Thank you. Sylvia, same question. What is your kind of outlook uh, looking forward and how much of a collision course is Rome on with Brussels? Is it mostly rhetoric? Uh, you can touch on the fiscal rules reform debate, the Eurozone and TPI if you wish. Yeah, so it is true that, I mean, so far, Georgia Meloni has not really shown her true colors. And, and really, she has swung between populist tendencies and, uh, let's say, a more traditional version of conservatism. And, and really, we'll see whether these swings are more opportunistic or, or whether there will be like a reckoning of the hard realities, including the economic realities, I would say. And I'll go back to that. So in the first half of this year, Italy actually... The Italian economy actually outperformed other European economies, and the growth forecast for this year is like 3.3% compared to Eurozone uh, average growth seen at about 3%. And the recovery from the COVID recession has been faster compared to previous recoveries. And that's mainly because we had the European funds in place and also because the fiscal rules were suspended. And so there was there was like strong fiscal stimulus supporting the recovery. Going forward, I think that the EU next generation plan is still key for Italy. Italy has a long-term growth problem. So while GDP is now back to its pre-recession levels, but basically it is the same level that prevailed around mid of 2005. So basically for 17 years, Italy has seen no growth. And that reflects, of course, dismal productivity performance and vulnerability of, of the economy, an economy that really needs structural reforms and more investment to become a green and digital economy. Uh, and so really, I think that, you know, the, the, the economic success of Italy really depends on being, I would say, more integration of Europe and an adherence to these efforts really to fill the gaps between the south of Europe and north of Europe, uh, so towards convergence. And again, I expect and I hope, of course, that the next government will reckon these realities and once again adopt a pragmatic approach over an ideological one. And that should also apply to the discussion about the new fiscal rules. I think it is fair to put forward some constructive criticism with respect to the fiscal rules that arguably were too restrictive before the pandemic. But of course, a, a confrontational approach would not be helpful in the process. And, and once again, I expect a more pragmatic and critical but constructive approach going forward. Yeah, definitely hoping for a pragmatic approach over ideological. Well, with that, I guess I'd just like to ask you both if you have any final thoughts before we wrap up. Antonio, any final thoughts? Well, I think we've been roughly on, on a similar line. And I, I will just end up with a sentence that we keep, keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. As I said, gov the, ru the ruling a government is a complicated matter. You can do it through emotion, rhetoric, and reusing your, your brain. Miss Belloni has shown her great ability in using both of the emotion, the heart and the brain. Now it's the time to decide which way you really want to go to shape your government. And we don't know, we can, we hope that it'll be the way in which it should be. But again, this is something which we'll only find out in the coming weeks. Thank you. Sylvia, any final thoughts? Well, my final thoughts are really about the general economic situation in, in Europe and, and in Italy, of course, specifically, which basically means that for any government, you know, irrespective of 
its color, the garment will be like a uphill struggle. Of course, we have the winter is coming and, and the energy crisis in Europe will only get worse. And as a matter of fact, we have seen further strains concerning the Nord Stream 1 pipeline from Russia to Europe, uh, suggesting that any gas flows is unlikely to be resumed from Russia uh, through the, the Nord Stream 1 pipe. And, and of course, we also have the ECB that is in tightening mode with this market pressure for higher yields across the board, which will make fiscal sustainability even harder for a country like Italy that has like 150% of, of GDP as public debt. So yeah, my, my last caution really is about the very hard task that the next government will, will have to deal with in a, in a very challenging situation. Great. Thanks, Sylvia. Sounds like there are a number of challenges ahead, but like Antonia said, we'll be keeping our fingers crossed. On that note, I'd like to thank you both very much once again, Antonio and Sylvia, for taking the time to speak with us today um, and sharing your insights. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to Old Fifth Podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever podcasts can be found. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Old Fifth Podcast.